My name is Chris, and I am going to read with you Psalm 40, the word of the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground, and he steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God, and many people will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list, and you have no equal. If I tried, O oh Lord, to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. O oh Lord, you take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. And now that you've made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. And then I said, look, I've come. As is written about me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and your saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. O Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me, because troubles surround me. Too many to count. My sins pile up so high that I can't see my way out, and they outnumber the hairs on my head. I've lost all courage. Please, O oh Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. And may those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, aha, we've got you now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. And may those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great, the Lord is great. And as for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. For you, O Lord, are my helper and my savior. O oh my God, do not delay the word of the Lord. Hi folks, my name is Luke, if we haven't met before, and we're gonna to continue today 
in our series on the Psalms. Earlier, we heard all of Psalm 40, read by Chris Brooks, and that's the Psalm that we'll be reflecting on today. And after we reflect on Psalm 40, we're of course gonna receive communion. There's a very old joke about an elevator operator who is usually ignored by those that take the lift from floor to floor. Finally, one day someone takes an interest in him. This is a unique career choice, says a woman. How do you like your job? And the elevator operator replies, say it with me if you know it, oh, it has its ups and downs. It's of course a predictable joke, but it does ring true. It makes light of our shared human experience. Everyone's life is filled with ups and downs. I remember the week that our first daughter was uh, born and it felt to me really dramatically up and down. After five days of excitement, of running on adrenaline and, and urgency rather than food and sleep, day six came and I crashed. I went from a very high high to a very low low. My inexperience as a new parent in managing my energies had a lot to do with that intense swing. I remember Sarah saying to me, maybe you should try eating something or taking a nap. Pretty good advice. Of course, ups and downs in a pandemic have at times been disorienting for many of us. The highs don't feel so high, the lows feel even lower, and the energy drains as we try to sustain our health and communities under this prolonged stress. Ups and downs are complex. They're emotional, they're circumstantial, they're seasonal. Sometimes we have control over our ups and downs. Sometimes we're powerless about them. What I mean is life's ups and downs are absolutely universal. The elevator operator isn't alone. So if we think to ourselves, life shouldn't be like this, or am I doing something wrong? Or even, am I doing faith wrong? Psalm 40 is reassuring. It's another Psalm that's written by the shepherd boy turned King David whose life was full of ups and downs. Psalm 40, as we heard, is a jumble. It's not a vomit of experience. It's not unintentional, but it is an accurate picture of what we can expect in a life of faith. It's made up, actually, of two or three distinct tones. They're so distinct, in fact, that scholars used to think that Psalm 40 was some kind of Frankenstein psalm meaning that there was two or three poems stitched together by someone at a later date. But later on, someone had the bright idea that maybe a psalm like this one is possible because a life of faith isn't one of flawless consistency and of easy answers. Even a life of faith is full of ups and downs, of various tones and colors. Psalm 40 teaches us that. And as we've said before, the Psalms keep us honest and they keep us present. So Psalm 40 is this great 
expectation setter for a life of faith. More importantly, it tells us what we can expect from God uniquely when turbulence sets in. Psalm 40 starts out pretty bright. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. I've told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. If I tried to recite all of your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. And that to me sounds almost a little bit like what we hear at the end of John's gospel about everything that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, we read in John's gospel, John says, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So the beginning of Psalm 40 is full of gratitude at what God's done, at the difference that God's made, taking someone from a place of death to a place of life, a place of darkness to a place of light. It's a thank you note because things were bad, but God's turned them good. You know, at times gratitude is talked about, especially by Christians, uh, as a discipline to be worked on. And there may be some truth to that. But gratitude in scripture is firstly unscripted. What I mean by that is that the kind of gratitude that we see in Psalm 40, or the kind of unexpected excitement that we hear in the gospels when Jesus turns up someplace, that's a gratitude that comes with the reality of God's goodness getting a hold of us. It's surprising. So if we find ourselves completely devoid of gratitude in a life of faith, we could try being more thankful, putting in practices maybe, but we do better to begin with asking what kind of God we're concentrating on in the first place. We might need to shrug off stuffy or poor patterns of, of thought about God's nature inviting the surprising reality of his goodness to get a hold of us again. I wonder if we need more prayers like that. Jesus, I need you to surprise me today. Surprise me with grace. Surprise me with provision, with goodness that I can't fabricate. Give me a reason to sing a new song. One thing that I think prayer is, is prayer is is holding God capable of being God, always putting the ball back into God's court. So tonally, Psalm 40 starts out flying, and often so do we. God's done something. There's been a rescue. There's been a change. There's, there's genuine, surprising joy. But then things take a turn. If we think that a life of faith is always up, always unflinchingly confident. We hear otherwise in the next lines. Psalm 40 turns pretty dark. Troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high I can't see my way out. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, come rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. We begin with a prayer opening with gratitude about the past, but now it's desperate for relief in the present. 
The scholars categorize this movement as going from thanksgiving to lament to shameless reliance on God's intervention. Can prayer do that? Are our prayers allowed to do that? Psalm 40 does. Since I'm poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. So what we have in Psalm 40, it sounds like someone who's seen God make a difference in the past, someone singing, pointing others to God in God's direction, encouraging trust and hope. On the other hand, Psalm 40 sounds like someone facing severe difficulties and is anxious for help again. The problems for the writer David, they might be consequential. Is he talking about the fallout of poor choices in his past when he says, my sins pile up, I can't see a way out? The problems he's facing might be circumstantial, meaning there's evil beyond his control plaguing him. Problems, as we know, are not usually so easily categorized. Rarely do we get full credit or full blame for our ups and downs. And rarely can we give others full credit or, or place full blame. Of course, there's exceptions, but often it's all tied up together because we're all tied up together, one with the other. And in the end, who gets all the credit or who gets all the blame really isn't the point anyway. The point in Psalm 40 is that David knows the difference that God can make. He can't deny it, it's in his past. And he needs God to make a difference again because he's on the ropes. He's reaching out in frazzled trust. You know, in our convenience-obsessed world, we might expect that a life of faith will deliver us easy answers, clean lines, a trajectory that's just up, up, up. The problem is that we're not machines. There's no predictable trajectory in every single one of our lives. God's not a system, and life is, is more than a relentless quest for convenience and tidy sums. So what does Psalm 40 tell us? to expect from a life of faith then, to expect from God? Well, first, first it tells us to expect ups and downs. Expect them. There might be various reasons for ups and downs, reasons down to us, reasons beyond our control. The ups and downs, however, are no indication that God's left the room or that we're doing faith wrong. We do a good deal of harm to others and to ourselves when we insist on placing blame or finding a reason that things aren't picture perfect. We also kid ourselves if we think that we can have all the credit when things go well. And that's the kind of foolishness which evolves into deadly pride. But as Christians, we don't put stock in karma, in Christ is where we put our stock and hope. And Christ faced as many ups and downs as we do. What does that tell us about God's whereabouts in turbulence? So if you're facing a bit of turbulence today, don't panic. You're in good company. 
First of all, you're in our company. You're in the company of everybody else along with the elevator operator. But you're also in God's company. And if you're in a sunny season, don't stifle the joy. Celebrate the reality of goodness bubbling up around you. Sing a new song, as the psalm says, for the rest of us to hear. Second, Psalm 40 also tells us to expect our dependency on God to grow, not to shrink. To expect that growing up in faith means realizing you need God more than you thought you did yesterday or last year or last decade. It tells us that we're never gonna truly arrive until Jesus returns. But not to be discouraged by that in the least because arriving at some kind of religious self-sufficiency isn't a life of faith at all. Faith means trust again and again and again, especially if we're on the ropes. If you've ever been on the ropes, you know that confidence is a fickle thing. The muscle memory of trust is easily forgotten. The Old Testament is full of examples of shaky faith, and the New Testament too, for that matter. Our examples of faith in Scripture, our examples of faith and trust, are usually complicated figures. They all flinched when trouble flexed. Have you ever been at a funeral and someone is made to sound so perfectly saintly, and you've had that nasty little thought in the back of your head that says, well, that's not the whole picture, really. They weren't perfect. And then you feel a bit guilty? We shouldn't feel guilty with that thought. There's no need to sanitize our histories. The ancient heroes of faith, along with the modern heroes of faith, if they were sitting us today, with us today, it would be pretty clear, pretty quick, that they were round and complex characters, full of faith, but full of some other stuff too. And if they were a real hero, they'd probably just point to the strength beyond them and say something like what we hear from John the Baptist, that the, the greatest hero of faith we're told about in scripture, really. And he said, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. If they were a real hero, then we'd hope to see a trajectory, not towards puffy-chested self-sufficiency, but a trajectory that is this consuming addiction to Jesus through prayer. I've met, I know, I think, some genuine heroes of faith. And as I watch them mature, their attention to prayer, their humility, their need, it doesn't shrink, it expands. As we often say, before prayer is a discipline to be worked on, before prayer is devotion to be given, prayer is first a dependence to be learned. So Psalm 40 tells us to expect ups and downs. It tells us to expect to grow in, into dependent beings rather than self-sufficient beings as we mature. And finally, thirdly, most importantly, Psalm 40 tells us 
to expect God to transcend our ups and downs, but not to be ambivalent about them. The writer of Psalm 40 really does celebrate God's authority to rescue, the magnitude of God's capacity. They celebrate God's reliability as they look back, but they also trust his agility in the present. At times, we box God in, don't we? Does God live only in the big picture? Faithful, sovereign, as we look back over time? Or is God responsive, movable in this very moment? Why do we have to choose? Seems like he's both in scripture. I think if we asked Jesus to fill out a job description for the role of God, and to tick either the detail-oriented box or the big-picture box, Jesus would tick both. Jesus gave us the Milky Way, and he gave us ladybugs. The Psalms tell us that God is entirely free to both transcend us and personally tend to us. Psalm 40's Example directs us to remember the truth of the past, the stuff we can't deny that God has done, God's capacity, and it directs us to expect more of that stuff today. In other words, it reminds us that prayer is where our limitations on God dissolve. The more I read, Psalm 40, uh, the more I realize that I need a more accurate picture of God and myself. I need a roomier picture, not a sanitized or stifled picture. There is much I don't know about the universe, much I don't know about God. How do we possibly begin to comprehend a being who transcends all of history and matter and yet also promises to me intimate attention and agility in responding to my needs. How do we imagine that? Well, that's probably where the picture of Jesus and his cross come in. Jesus, arms stretched from one end of history to another, making the difference, laying down his life, able to pick it back up again, transcending our limitations with with endless grace. If I tried to recite all of your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Jesus with arms stretched, but also with ears open, tending to the man crucified next to him, making a request and granting it. I'm poor and needy. You're my helper and my savior. Don't delay, to which we might remember that Jesus responded, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, transcending us and tending to us, back then, right now, and for eternity to come.